everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the best picture of 1971, William Friedkin's The French Connection. And uh, nobody knows more about French connections than uh, my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Bonjour. Oh, watch out. I feel connected <laughs> to you right now. <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, it is based on the book by Robin Moore, and it is written by Ernest Tidyman, whose name I enjoy, because uh, it sounds like a was, spokesperson for like a toilet brush. He was one tidy man. <laughs> uh but he was very sincere as well. He was very earnest. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so the film won best picture director actor for Gene Hagman adapted screenplay and editing. It was nominated for supporting actor for Roy Scheider cinematography and sound. All right. The French connection. I saw it because it won best picture years ago when I was in high school and I just, and at the time I did not get it. Really? Now, it's weird because there's not a whole lot in the French connection to get, but I just didn't get it. The thing that got me is like, it's just a long chase movie. <laughs> Why is this a best picture? Like, it just, I was flummoxed by hmm. it. As time has gone on, uh, and I've seen it probably two more times since then, I do own it on Blu-ray. I've not yet watched it on Blu-ray, but hmm. it looks wonderful. Um, and as time has gone on, I've come to realize like, well, if it's just a chase movie, if that's all it is, then what can we get from, what can we extrapolate about the main character from that? And I guess you could make the argument that he's incredibly driven. Because mm -hmm. um, one of the other things that I didn't understand uh, in watching it is, why did Gene Hackman win Best Actor for this? <laughs> like, I was just, I could not understand it. But then, in looking at it in, in from a different angle, I realized that, like, you have one of the most driven characters in film history uh, who is deeply flawed, often unlikable and is just willing to stop at nothing. It is just a film about obsession and, but you know, so many films about obsession are like small and they're about like the person's internal life. This is like completely external. Um, and I love the French connection now. I think it's amazing. <laughs> so that, that was my initial reaction to it. And we'll, we'll go into more detail in a moment, but, um, but yeah, what was, uh, when did you first see it? I cannot remember. I think it might've been in college. It's probably in college, but it's been a while. Okay. And I didn't, I don't remember loving it at the time. I don't remember disliking it or thinking like, why is this such a big deal? But I don't feel like it really gripped me either. So it is one that I would like to revisit because, um, I don't know. It has such a status and has such a, uh, it's, it's been around for a while and, and still is praised by so many people. I think there's probably more to it than whatever I saw when I watched it the first time. It's definitely big in the in the world of like filmmakers and like film students because of the way William Friedkin made it. Like he really did a lot of run and gun in that. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't always have permits, <laughs> which is weird considering how dangerous the film often is. He seems like that type of person. He does, yes. Like when he directed The Exorcist, he did not have a permit to uh you know, make a demon go into a little girl. He did not get the permission from her parents, but he did it anyway. Cause that's the kind of director William Friedkin is. Um, True. so have you ever seen like, you've probably seen him speak at things and stuff like that. 
Well, there was a story about him speaking at my college, uh, like a year and a half before I got there, mm-hmm. maybe two years. And the, uh, the staff or the faculty were very angry with him. Really? Because he went in and, you know, it's a film school mm-hmm. and Columbia especially is not a film theory school. They have a critical studies program, mm-hmm. but, um, Columbia is where you go to learn how to make movies. It's mm-hmm. big on cinematography. It's big on editing and sound. It's big on sound. Um, and so you have people who want to know how he did things. They want to know the technical side of filmmaking. And apparently he gave them just kind of the standard BS about movie magic hmm. and about like trying to, it's about like capturing a certain tone and just basically kind of really emphasize like the, the, the mystery and the mysticism of filmmaking mm-hmm. and kept everything very vague as though he was trying to impress Hmm. Uh, as I was speaking to a, a crowd of amateurs sort of yes and it's or just maybe layman is a better word. layman is a, yeah yeah um people who are just like yeah ow, absolutely movie magic it's like yeah there is a magical quality when all of these technical elements come together now the question is how did you make them come together and mm-hmm. he just was very I don't know. He was very, not shady, but he was just very evasive um, and chose instead to speak in very big lofty terms. And the faculty was very angry because it's like, you just wasted everybody's time. You know, yeah. we could watch a DVD special feature that captures this tone. Uh, and probably, frankly, these days, like a Blu-ray special feature probably goes into more detail about certain technical choices. Mm-hmm. So that is the story that I have about <laughs> William Friedkin uh, at speaking at colleges. He's he's very much a... Uh, he has the feel of kind of a rebel who does, who mm-hmm. is like, we'll just do whatever he wants. And when they say like, well, you're, you're supposed to have permits, he'll be like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, is that going to take too long? We're not doing that then. I, I saw him speak to a to a crowd when he was introducing uh toby hooper in a some kind of new there was like a new digital version of texas chainsaw massacre maybe it was the 25 year edition something like that 30th how long is that uh 74 so it's been 40 years yeah for yeah 40 years um so i think i think it was that and uh (laughs) listening to him speak at that he he was much more uh uh, opinionated and lively than I would have expected, especially for a man his age. And yeah. you know, I get the feeling he's always kind of been that way. So to be a filmmaker who says, I'm not getting permits cause I don't want to, or it's going to take too much time and we're just going to do it. Seems in step with what I know of him as a person. And it seems in step with the 1970s. Like when you think of what the seventies are as far as filmmaking, and I feel like you could not trace it all back to the French connection. Cause there are movies in the late sixties that kind of, you know, led the way, but just the grittiness of it. And just the feeling of like, no, we don't need to explain things. We don't need to have, you know, in-depth scenes of, you know, the character, uh, explaining why he does things mm-hmm. or, or what he's going to do. We we're, we're just going to show the action. Um, strange as it may sound, um, my limited, uh, knowledge of French new wave or, or I guess whatever you would call, um, like breathless or, uh, bound about band yeah, of outsiders. Um, you know, where it was, there was a rawness to it and you didn't have people sitting and explaining things like it was just, it, it was, it could be seen as very surfacey. 
mm-hmm. and that is how I saw it. But I feel like he and a number of other filmmakers were really influenced by that, which is mm-hmm. we don't need to explain everything. We're just going to show stuff. Yeah. And, and you can see how that movement was massively influential on how, how Americans start to make movies yeah. in the late sixties and early seventies. Yeah. And I feel, and I don't, I don't actually know if he cites uh, those types of films as an influence, but I feel like you can see it. I can definitely see uh, like French new wave crime films being, yeah. being influential and in stuff like elevator to the gallows or maybe Rafifi or so, some of those ones. Oh, sure. Um, I can definitely see those being influenced. Yeah. And, says. and so it it winds up being a very, like I said, it's it's very gritty. There are long sequences that you come to appreciate on a technical level, but you do emotionally just wonder when is this thing going to end? And not in a bad way, but like there's a scene where uh, an assassin gets on a on a an elevated train, and uh, Gene Hackman is following it in his car and he has to go as fast as the train goes. And so he's just following this train and he can't stop at stoplights. So he's just going and going and going. And, uh, and I think there are moments when like he gets out of the car to like run up to the station, but then it like leaves and he can't make it. And so like, he has to get back in his car and drive <laughs> even faster now. And it just keeps going. And you just have this feeling like, you wind up having so much admiration for this insane detective is wondering like, at what point do you feel like, Oh, we lost him. Mm. And the answer is never because he goes all the way to the end of the line mm. and he can, conf- and maybe the most, uh, one of the most iconic images of the film is the assassin gets off the train and is leaving the station. And boy, does he not expect the detective to be standing there <laughs> yeah. exhausted. Mm-hmm. And it's just, scene after scene like that and we also get uh in uh what's his name uh fernando ray uh we get a villain that seems a bit james bondy but somehow i don't it doesn't bother me hmm. like there's a another scene where uh jimmy popeye doyle is chasing this guy and can't seem to find him and then uh the the villain loses him on a train and as the train goes by he like waves very coyly uh (laughs) to um to the detective and so there are some pretty iconic moments and i just find myself when i watch it just caught up in it and just i don't know i can't even i can't even put my finger on on the choices that that William Friedkin makes that gets me so caught up in it, except that maybe like if he'd had the permits, it wouldn't have felt the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and maybe he had them for some, in some cases, but just like it needs to feel dangerous. It needs to feel so haphazard like the detective himself, which is like, it's like, look, all I know is I'm going to catch the bad guys and that's it. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not sticking to any, uh, you know, I'm not going by the book and neither is the director. Um, and so it's just a really fascinating, odd film. And one thing that I want to talk about, and it's not, it's looking like this, uh, this mini, so it's going to be even shorter than usual, but so we talk about from a best picture standpoint, we talk about the 1970s as being kind of this odd game changer where you got movies that, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, yes, you have stuff like the sting, but the Godfather movies seem like best picture material. Rocky Mm -hmm. certainly does. Annie Hall doesn't. Yeah. Um, But uh, 
but the mentality of the Oscars seems to be changing because let's take a look at the best picture nominees for 1971. The French Connection, A Clockwork Orange, Fiddler on the Roof, The Last Picture Show, Nicholas and Alexandra. I have not seen the last one. This is another year where I've seen all of them and have not even heard of Nicholas and Alexandra. Yeah, I haven't either. And I feel bad about that. Um, I love, love, love The Last Picture Show. Um, Mm -hmm. I enjoy Fiddler on the Roof and I respect A Clockwork Orange more than I actually respond to it, though it's a wonderful book. Um, But yeah, you you have three films in there that are very atypical as far as what the oscars have done so far like you have your obvious winner in fiddler on the roof yeah and if it were 10 years earlier it probably would have won yeah but yeah i mean even the inclusion of a clockwork orange in there yeah is pretty crazy like (laughs) it must have been that what that's two years after midnight cowboy they were like i guess we can get away with nominating this kind of thing yeah um, and la- last picture show, I think, is maybe a bit more conventional uh, as as far as the type of story they're telling. It's it's a little bit the way it's told is not necessarily conventional, but the type of story is kind I'd of a best years of our lives story. type. But it's but it's still it's still edgy. I think sure, absolutely um, for that type of content and the way it portrays teenagers and um, kind of like the sexual content in in uh, relation to teenagers yeah. also is a little. Yeah. A little more than you'd think uh, uh, the Academy would go for in yeah. years past. Um, and so it's just now. So of the unconvention and Nicholas and Alexandra, who knows what, I don't know what kind of movie is that it is. A, maybe it's like a Russian thing. I don't know if it's it like certainly a sounds Nicholas. like it, <laughs> um, but uh, I'll find out. But of the, you know, of the unconventional nominees, which I would say is French connection, clockwork orange and, and even last picture show. Um, the strangest one to win would have been clockwork orange, but French connection is right behind it. I think because I don't think of it as a best picture type, you know, I don't think of it even as a, as a nominee type, you know, maybe some technical stuff like cinematography and editing, Mm -hmm. but I don't think of it as like winner of best actor. And that's not to say that any of this is bad, but when I think of best picture things, you know, this is the year after Patton, which is a much more conventional best picture winner. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it confuses and astounds <laughs> me, but I'm okay with it because I think yeah, the movie's no, great. I, I think anytime that, that, uh, they sort of veer away from what are, what is expected, uh, is, is interesting. And I think it's good for film because it, I, I think, I guess we haven't really talked about this much before, but I think one of the things that, the Oscars and the Academy can do for general film watchers is give them exposure to something, uh, that they haven't necessarily seen before. And they, they are in a way, I'd say in a way, a thermometer for the, for the film scene. But I think they have a little bit of a control over it too, because oh yeah, when movies that are a little bit more off the beaten path, start to, uh, get nominations, then, the rest of the film world and the film audiences start to take that a little more seriously. Well, and even now there's, there are movies that will be nominated and then that you and I enjoy and that we would never, we feel like, Oh, okay, that's going to get some indie spirit nominations and that's the end of it. Yeah. But then the Oscars embrace it and we are excited because at the very least it'll get a little bit more audience and a little bit more exposure. Mm -hmm. So you get stuff like winter's bone, right? You get stuff like beasts of the Southern wild. Yeah. And suddenly these are, 
major contenders yeah. and then you get you know jennifer lawrence has a career after that yeah and it, honestly maybe something like beast of the southern wild doesn't get doesn't get made if something like winner's bone hadn't right. been as high profile as it was when award season rolled around right and and those are just nominees you know every once in a while there's a a winner that makes you feel like oh this yeah. is because at the very least if nothing else there will be people like you and me who feel like, okay, well, I'm going to watch the best picture winners. And yes, that means that you're going to have to watch, you know, Gigi and, uh, <laughs> and, um, Tom Jones, but it does mean that you'll also have to watch the French connection, which it does have some iconic moments, but I don't, I don't know of a lot of people that say that it's essential viewing, but it's still really good. Yeah. You know, if not great. And, you're never going to, I don't think you'd ever come away from the French connection regretting having seen it. No, I don't think so either. But it also wouldn't be in the forefront of your brain if it wasn't a best picture winner. Yeah. Um, and so at so the very least, that's it, a service. I think that the Oscars kind of yeah. do for us as, as audience members and as filmmakers. Um, yeah, just to, uh, so that we both know Nicholas and Alexander sure enough is a czar Nicholas, the second movie. Okay. Uh, he is overthrown and exiled to Siberia with his family. Three hours, three minutes. Who made it? Uh, the f- director is Franklin J. Schaffner. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm thinking it's a British crew, maybe, or a mostly British film, because I, I don't recognize the actors immediately. Well, I believe... Uh, Michael Jaston and Janet Sussman. Hmm. She looks familiar, but maybe that's just because she looks a little bit like Julie Andrews in this one picture. Well, Franklin Schaffner, I believe, had just directed uh, Patton the year before. Oh, really? And I think he did Planet of the Apes, too, now that I think about it. Really? And I believe he also did Papillon. Well, um, good for him. That's when I good, when uh, I Because I remember he directed three P movies, Planet of the Apes, Patton, and Papillon, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Patton. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Papillon also. Yeah, and The Boys from Brazil. Like, he so, did yeah. The Boys from Brazil? Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting movie. <laughs> yeah, it I is. feel like we talked about that before recently on here. Did that that came out in the seventies? Yeah, so we probably maybe that was on our list of uh, ones of that year. Yeah, it's a strange, strange film. Um, but yeah, and so and it's just so interesting that Nicholas and Ale- Alexandra apparently uh, a movie that the Oscars liked. Yeah, and this is the first time you and I, I even wrote out the notes and I forgot. Uh, that it was that there was a fifth nominee called this. Yeah. Um, but I, it's Franklin Schaffner. I like him. So maybe yeah, it's pretty good. It's probably a good movie. Um, so other notable 1971 releases, there's a number of them, but, uh, and there's a number of them that, that stick out, you know, you get stuff like dirty Harry and, uh, Harold and Maude and McCabe and Mrs. Miller, straw dogs, shaft, um, you know, vanishing point THX 1138, so there's there's a lot of strong movies that we still watch to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's a lot that jump out as like best picture material. Uh, Not Roman, really. Roman Polanski's Macbeth, maybe. Yeah, I can um, see that. It is a weird year for that, though. And there's a lot of like edgy stuff, too, yeah. you know, like a, a lot of indie stuff from... Yeah, just a lot of indie stuff that has, has come to have uh, a bigger a bigger name over the years, like, like two lane blacktop or walkabout yeah. or, or THX 1138. Um, and he, you know, Minnie and Moskowitz is a, a John Cassavetes film and mm-hmm, yeah, it's uh and then you also have stuff like dual, which I think was made for TV first, but I think they recognized, Oh, there's really something to this. So they released yeah. it in theaters and which that's is a movie uh, I need to Spielberg's see. I've film. never seen that one. It's really good. Yeah. Oh boy. I'm yeah. That's one that it. I feel like I need to own. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I loved that one. I saw it on TV when I was a kid and thought it was amazing. And uh, sure enough, you rewatch it. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. You definitely see a lot of Spielberg in there. It's funny um, looking at this list. I feel like my favorite movie on this list, including the nominees, might be Straw Dogs. I do like Straw. I think probably my favorite film from this list is probably Last Picture Show. I do like McCabe and Mrs. Miller quite a bit, actually. And I haven't seen McCabe and Mrs. Miller yet. That's on my list. Oh, you'd love it. To see. I think I, you'd really love it. I think I will. Um, but Straw Dogs is a movie that I find so disturbing and affecting. And my mom actually hates that movie. Hmm. I didn't think not because it's a bad movie, but because it is so stress like the home invasion thing oh, yeah. is so stressful to her. And it seems like he's so helpless in that movie. Well, uh, and it's for a time anyway, that's Sam Peckinpah, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Straw dogs is an interesting one. And I find myself wondering, like, I don't think the Oscars were ready to go for straw dogs, but I do feel like if that movie were made today and I know they remade it, but it was a remake. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if the, if that type of movie were made today with a strong lead performance like Dustin Hoffman's mm-hmm. and just like really, I don't know, from a genre standpoint, I wonder if the Oscars would embrace it or if it's just yeah. the type of movie that will never, ever be embraced by any kind of mainstream uh, group like that. Maybe. But, well, it's funny that it is like I can definitely see Peckinpah and that movie in particular as an influence for a lot of filmmakers that are big now, like a... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, like an Adam McKay, maybe, maybe I'm just thinking that because no, 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 sorry. That's the wrong. <laughs> uh, who's the guy who made the guest? Oh, oh, um, it's not Adam. McKay. No, <laughs> I'll say that it's Adam something, right? It's, uh, uh Adam, is that Adam Wingard Wingard. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. <laughs> as soon as that came out, I'm glad you made that face. Cause I was like, Oh, that's the wrong person. It's like, look, I know he's trying to do new things <laughs> with what is that? The big short or whatever it's called this year mm. uh, that's coming out. But, uh, yeah, it's like, <laughs> but, I, I'll, I'm going to need you to connect those dots for me. <laughs> but something like, uh, you're next, which has more of a, a playful attitude to it. Sure. Than I think Peck and Pa does, but, uh, maybe if you were to take that and fuse it with something like kill list, you kind of get, absolutely. I think yeah. they both come from different sides of, of Sam Peck and Pa are both are, are influenced in different ways. Well, and there's, and even if you want to look at it, I mean, it's, it certainly is not as, uh, as, uh, I don't know, kinetic as, as straw dogs, but even something like funny games yeah. um, and just the, the, the emotional oppression yeah. of Michael uh, Haneke. Um, I feel like you don't see that kind of emotional oppression in movies back this, this, this early very often. Yeah. Or especially ones that have that sense uh, and are still also kinetic. Well, there's, there's a thorough unpleasantness to yeah. Peck and Paw. Like, yeah. I think, I love The Wild Bunch. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy movie to watch. No. Like, even, like, zooming in on just these, these sunburned, sweaty, ugly, angry faces <laughs> with, like, flies buzzing around them. It's just like, how close are you going to get here, Sam? Because I don't <laughs> want to see this. Um, you know, I, and, and straw dogs. I think I, I've only seen it once. I saw it, uh, in, I think high school, mm. I was not ready for it, but it's, then that's the thing. That's one of those movies that obviously I will watch again at some point, but, uh, my memory, I haven't seen it in probably 15 years. My memory of it is still pretty good. That mm-hmm. is not a film that fades yeah. from memory. Yeah. Um, because just in the same way that, you know, you don't forget going to war, <laughs> uh, straw dogs yeah. is the, the, the equivalent of that. But, uh, but yeah, that, that is a, it's certainly a memorable film, but I think it's also 
maybe one of the most uh, influential uh, to come out in 1971. Um, but I mean, you also, in some ways, then you also get stuff like Dirty Harry, right. which is culturally very influential. Yeah. Um, you've seen Dirty Harry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not bad. No, it's I not. I think it's the only, I think Harry Callahan shows up in like four more movies, but this is the only one of, uh, one that I've seen. This is the only one I've seen too. Yeah. Although I hear, I'm pretty sure one of the other ones people say is good. Maybe Magnum Force. I don't remember. <laughs> And I guess maybe to me, a title like that just <laughs> makes me, yeah, it's, just, it's like, I gotta go. Seems a little over the top. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so looking at, at these, this is a weird year for the best picture race. Yeah. Um, and I'm fine with French connection winning. It is, it's certainly an achievement. Um, uh, and I think I'll probably, I would, I would also be fine with last picture show winning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'll probably just leave it at that. Like looking at these other things, as much as I love, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, um, it just doesn't seem like the type. And so, you know, and if somebody said, Hey, I want to watch the French connection, I'd be like, Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Um, I might say I'll watch it with you. <laughs> so, uh, I think we will go ahead and leave it there. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>